Welcome to the Dan Proft Show. I'm John Hinderocker from Powerline filling in for Dan tonight. And we are joined now by David Rifkin, a lawyer who uh, practices appellate and constitutional law in Washington, D.C., and who served in the White House Counsel's Office and the Department of Justice under Presidents Reagan and George H.W. Bush. David, thanks for being on the program. Pleasure to be with you. David, uh, the Democrats have indicated um, their top priority in the new uh, session of Congress with, uh, with House Bill 1, H.R. 1, which has to do with what the left calls voting rights and, and, uh, and what a lot of people on the right call uh, facilitation of, uh, of voting irregularity. Let, let's start by just talking about that bill. What, what exactly is it that the Democrats are trying to do? It, in essence, leaving the merits of the exercise aside, the policy merits, it sets up essentially a, a federal election code for all elections. It applies to all federal elections, as the bill expressly says, members of a House, senators, and presidential and vice presidential elections. But effectively, since states run integrated um electoral systems, venues, you know, baseline, registration, records, et cetera, et cetera. In essence, it would regulate all state elections as well. So it totally federalizes them in a very, very prescriptive fashion. Nothing like this has ever been done. And surprise, surprise, it does it in ways that um, override most of the election integrity provisions. For example, it affirmatively prevents, bars the states from um, banning vote harvesting. Vote, vote harvesting, of course, is a procedure that is rife with fraud. Do you think I need to explain what it is? It, it basically, you know, if you were a vote harvester, you could go and help you know, 20 or 30 or 50, however many people fill out their mail-in ballots and then you come in and mail it for them or bring it in for them. Um, so you cannot do that. Uh, the other thing worth emphasizing is that you could not ask, no state could ask people for any voter ID in the context of mail-in ballots. Instead, all you're required or allowed to do is to ask the person, and I'm not kidding, are you certifying that it's really you and everything is legit? So it's self-certification approach. Don't know many other spheres of life, be it you know banking, airline travel, or tax payments, where self-certification fully discharges the evidentiary burden. But I'm not voting. Yeah, I would, I, David, I would love to self-certify to the IRS. <laughs> There's a reform I could get behind. <laughs> I don't think IRS would like that. <laughs> so, David, um, let me just pause you there for a moment. And so, so what what you're saying is that this bill, HR one. Uh, basically purports to make illegal uh, some of the basic things that states have done to try to assure uh, ballot integrity, like banning or limiting vote harvesting or ballot harvesting, like requiring voter ID. Uh, is that is that does, does HR one address voter ID with respect to oh, in person yes. oh, voting yes. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, except I wouldn't use the word purports to make illegal. It just makes illegal. It, it is a federal election code if for all elections in the United States that is detailed, as well as, not to use big words, prescriptive and proscriptive. Okay? It covers all bases. 
and so and so to the extent that various states around the country have done really a good job of of um, of regulating their election processes of really assuring as much as you can uh, ballot integrity so that citizens can have confidence in the results of the elections. Florida is a good example, right? After 2000, Florida enacted a number of reforms and their election system has worked very well as it did in 2020. But basically, H.R. 1 would 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 toss all that out the window. One hundred percent. In fact, I would say, look, some states have done a better job than others. But uh, having looked at this 800 page uh, bill, I don't know of any state in the country, including blue states, that will be fully compliant when you've had election code. So in essence, to put it crisply, it would vitiate, override, kill, whatever you prefer, uh, all of the handiwork by all 50 states in this space. Okay? And all will be done as Congress has decreed. That's why we've I keep using the word federal election code. Yeah, we've only got 30 seconds left in this segment. That, that we're going to come back and talk more about this bill. But just briefly, David, uh, does this thing actually have a chance to pass? I, I Well, chances are very high it would pass. Well, it's only it would pass in the House. So there's a real, I, I, would, I would bet you it would pass. It is their dream job. It is the way to, for them to entrench themselves in power. All right, we got to run to a break, and we'll be right back after this. This is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the Dan Proft Show. We are talking with attorney David Rivkin about H.R. 1, the bill that the Democrats have introduced in this year's Congress, which uh, would essentially federalize all elections and and bring elections under a detailed uh, code that would make it illegal for states to implement basic voter security requirements like for example voter ID uh, e- efforts to efforts to ensure ballot integrity would now uh, not only not be required they'd actually be illegal it's an astonishing bill but David what I want to move on to now is to talk about the constitutional framework. Uh, in, your, in your recent article in the Wall Street Journal, you point out that, that in some respects, H.R. 1 seems plainly unconstitutional. T- tell us uh, why you say that. It is totally unconstitutional. Let me just begin by saying quickly that the constitutional problems are independent of the policy problems, because let's suppose that H.R. 1 contained the most robust uh, voter integrity procedures. It would still be unconstitutional. Uh, at least with respect to presidential elections, because states do have a power. Some states like California specifically allow voter harvesting. So if H.R. 1 banned it, which would policy-wise be a good thing, it would still be unconstitutional. Okay, why? The Constitution uh, sharply differentiates between congressional powers relative to congressional elections, the House and the Senate, presidential elections. Uh, Article 1, Section 4 provides that state legislatures shall prescribe the time, place, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives, but authorizes Congress 
to make or alter such regulations. Again, time, place, and manner. But then it comes to uh, presidential elections, vice presidential presidential elections. Article 2, Section 1 only gives Congress the power to determine the time of choosing the electors and the day in which they should give their votes. Everything else is entirely up to state legislatures. The reason for it, it's not an oversight, obviously, it's very profound. The founders spent a great deal of time trying to figure out how to choose uh, the president, vice president, and they specifically rejected uh, any large-scale participation by Congress, either in choosing the on a, in a granular level the the winning uh, candidate okay giving congress really only the power to to put its thumb on the scale if the electoral college is tied 12th amendment and to what extent congress can micromanage for legislation the manner in which uh the presidential electors are selected which how zero and the reason they've done that, I mean, if we had time, I can talk about what James Madison had to say, Charles Pinckney and other founders, but they wanted to make sure that the president is selected in ways with min- that minimize congressional involvement, because otherwise the president will be a word of Congress. This issue was extensively debated, extensively debated uh, at the convention. Okay. David, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we are the United States is, in fact, a union of states. And it really is up to each individual state to select its electors that then vote in the electoral college. And a lot of people don't realize, David, there is no constitutional right for individuals to vote in a presidential election. That is absolutely right. In fact, the language in the electors clause refers to state legislatures appointing electors. And that's how it was initially. And then eventually, over time, 50 states, uh, legislatures of all states came up with the voting mechanisms, but they can change their mind and, and go back to a direct appointment would be entirely constitutional. Again, that dramatizes the fundamental difference between congressional elections and presidential elections. The state legislatures have a unique constitutional authority uh, to deal with all issues relating to presidential elections. And as I said, the only thing that Congress can do, which it has done by statute, is set two dates. The dates uh, on which uh, the electors are chosen and shall be uniform throughout the United States and the dates in which the electoral college votes. And that's, you know, this last year's respectively November 3rd, you know, floats a little bit depending on, you know, how many days in, the, in, the, in a given year. But uh, in, in the 2020 elections, it was January 3rd, excuse me, November 3rd and December 14th. That's all Congress can do. And yet this bill is replete with all sorts of detailed provisions, utterly unconstitutional. There can be no argument that supports this, no viable argument. Okay. So, David, following up on your point there that this is entirely up to the states as to how they select presidential electors, this is why uh, I'm going from memory here, but I think there are two states that most most states give all their electors to the candidate who carried that state. I think there are two states that divvy it up by congressional district. And a lot of people have wondered, how, what's that all about, right? But that just exemplifies the fact that it's up to the states. If all 50 decided to divide up their electoral votes by 
district or some other way. That's that's entirely up to them. In, indeed. Again, this is the result of a considered judgment by the framers that sought to minimize, minimize congressional involvement in presidential elections, either at the strategic level in terms of prescribing the rules or at the granular level in, term, in terms of putting the thumb on the scale who is the winner. And the reason for it is not only, as you mentioned, the uh, federalism, which is protection of the formidable autonomy of the states that the framers believe is essential to have a ordered uh, liberty in this country, but as a matter of basic separation of powers within the federal government. Because if a president is effectively either chosen by Congress or is chosen based on the rules prescribed by Congress, then Article Two, the president, would be a word of Congress. That was something that the, would have that horrified the framers, and they worked very hard to ensure that it doesn't happen. David, we've got just 45 seconds left in this segment. So basically what you're saying is that as to presidential elections, H.R. 1 is blatantly unconstitutional, but probably not so as to Senate and House elections. So let's just assume Uh, this. There are other, my Wall Street Journal piece focuses on the presidential elections, but there are other problems. I think it's unconstitutional. Uh, as well, with regard to congressional elections, I, I have not seen a statute that is this profoundly unconstitutional for so many reasons ever. And I've seen a lot of statutes. It, All it, right, it, fascinating it, stuff. It, David Rivkin, thank you so much for being on the program. Pleasure. Bye bye. You can never surrender. Listen to podcasts of the show at danproftshow.com.